You are listening to an Elam Church Christchurch podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired by the message you are about to hear. And if you're ever in Christchurch, why don't you pop in and say hello? We'd love to connect. Um, before I get stuck into it, Jamie, I really feel like God put a word for you on my heart, and it was actually earlier during the service, and I feel like he said he's going to give you a boldness, um, regardless of your age, where there'll be situations and places that people are too timid or too scared to go into, um, but you'll be undeterred and you'll go into those places um, courageously, much like David when he went out to face Goliath. So just want to encourage you with that as you start your internship. Um, Yeah, so for those of you that don't know me, my name's Joel, my wife Alex and my boy Seth and I have all been coming here for just over a year now. Um, We came from Elam in the city, um, in in Christchurch Central, where we went for about seven years since we moved to Christchurch down from Nelson. Um, But we we love being a part of Belfast here and we feel so welcome um, from the first time we came here in the church. So thank you to everyone, especially Tracy, on that first day that came and said hello. Um, That really made this place feel home because we really feel like Um, This has become a home for us. Um, So as Pete said, today we're wrapping up our series on the book of Colossians um, with the theme of alignment, um, which is great. I'm super passionate about alignment. Alignment is very important. It's something I talk about a lot at work in the corporate world when I'm not here at church on a Sunday. Um, And it's something that's equally as important um, in our personal lives and in our families. Um, we've heard some examples shared of uh, wheel alignments. You know, maybe one of your wheels and tyres might not be doing the, the same thing as the rest of them, and that might be a bit problematic. Um, but just this morning as we were praying, and, you know, Lucrece mentioned the firefighters on the hills, I thought, man, how important is that, that every single fire crew, regardless of where they're from, they're all following the same strategy. They're all singing off the song, same song sheet, and they're all following the orders of the designated person at the top that's going, hey, guys, this is how we're going to tackle this. Can you imagine the potential catastrophe if maybe some of the walkie-talkies weren't working or maybe some of the fire crews went, oh, we think we'll just do this bit our way and the rest of you guys just do it how you want and she'll be right? You know, what a disastrous potential result. Um, Whereas what a wonderful outcome that, you know, there's been very little damage, the fire is now contained and they're working on, you know, doing the last little little bit there. So um, that came to mind for me when I thought about alignment and how powerful it is when many parts together and many individual people come together and work together to achieve one goal. So if you weren't here for the last couple of bits, I'm just gonna recap it because this this builds on that. So we heard from Pete about how there's nothing we could ever possibly do to be accepted by Christ or loved by him more than we are right now. There's no amount of good deeds or attitude changes or recompense or you know righting wrongs that could ever change where we're at. God accepts us and his love is there for us and the only thing we can do is step forward and accept it. And then last week we heard about once we have accepted it, we begin to change. We get a new mindset and God transforms us within our heart. So I've titled this mission, this message, Behaviours of an Aligned Mindset. Um, as we continue through the book, Paul starts to give some suggestions and some instructions um, on what this church that he's never met, what they should be doing and how they should be acting um, once they go through these changes. So my first point for this one is that we actually serve God and not man, and everything we do in life, we should approach with that understanding. In Colossians 3.23, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Being aligned to Christ 
What does that look like? It looks like working with honour and integrity. It looks like you set the example that you would like others to do for you, and we try and emulate the values that you know Jesus set for us, not just with our actions, but with our heart. Um, I don't know if anyone here is married, but maybe on a cold, wet, windy night when you've hopped into bed, your spouse might roll over and tap you on the shoulder and go, tomorrow's rubbish day and we've forgotten to put the bins out. Um, and while it might feel like a comment, I assure you it is a command. Um, and, and maybe you're not so enthused about crawling out from your nice, warm, cosy bed, putting on clothes or a dressing gown and some slippers, trudging out in the cold, wet rain at 10 o'clock at night and dragging the bin all the way down to the driveway to the street. Uh, but this is what Paul is saying. Whatever we do, we should do heartily and with a servant heart. Um, and I myself felt challenged when I read that verse because there have been times when I thought, mm, I probably did that begrudgingly um, and perhaps not as enthusiastically uh, as I could have. It's interesting the way that Paul has worded this because he doesn't know this church, right? They're strangers to him. He's writing them a letter of encouragement. Um, but Paul did actually plant other churches and he was a lot more direct and probably a lot less polite um, with how he instructed them. So he did plant the church in Thessalonica, and in 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 to 8, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to you. Quite powerful and probably a lot more heavy. Um, then this other, a bit more ambiguous message that he's wrote. But we know that the opposite of a burden is a blessing, right? You can be a burden to someone or you can be a blessing to someone. And what Paul is saying here is that whatever you do, if it's in your work, if it's for your family, if it's serving, if it's at church with your friends, we shouldn't be a burden to people. We should be a blessing. Their lives should be better off for the things that we do for them. And so while it might sound harsh, he's basically saying here that he's encouraging you to step out and outwork the faith that we have in our heart, that we know we believe, and show it through our actions. It's the flesh outworking the spiritual disciplines that we believe and that we know we have inside. The Bible literally does say, faith without deeds is dead. So as we accept Jesus and we know that we have him in our heart, he begins to change us and our actions will change accordingly. So, second thought. We talked about the fact that Last week, with a new mindset comes new authority. We are accepted into the kingdom as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Um, and I just want to encourage you that the authority that we have been given is actually designed to be used. It's not there to be put aside. It's not there that just sits there as this background piece. And in Colossians 4.2, Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. See, he understands that this church he's writing to, even though he doesn't know them, there'll be things that they're battling with. There'll be things that they're struggling against. There'll be issues. There'll be situations arising that maybe they don't see an outcome. They don't see how they're going to make it through. And he's encouraging them that all authority has been given to us. Like Pete talked about earlier, you know, there's greater things that we're going to do. And he's basically saying to them, when things rear their heads and they come against you, don't get bogged down in the details. If it feels like there's an insurmountable wall ahead of you, God is bigger. God is stronger. When cancer rears its head, when sickness comes into your family, be thankful and continue in prayer. When you lose your job, be thankful and continue in prayer. When you feel depression creep into your mind and tell you that you'll never be happy again and you can't do it, 
be thankful and continue in prayer. We continue to push in because in God, we have the victory, even when we can't see a way forward or might feel like we're completely surrounded. He's saying, keep your eyes on the prize and be thankful for the goodness and the promises of God that are written in his word that we know are for us. We need to claim it and proclaim it. In Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus said, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. What a powerful promise, right? One of the, the, the Israelites in the Old Testament and all throughout the Bible, they have different titles for God. They have different names with, with different meanings. Um, and one of the names that I've always been very passionate about is Jehovah Nissi. It means the Lord is my banner, and it speaks to victory and battle. When the enemy and life and things come against you, you're not delivered by your own strength. You're delivered by God because he is able to do abundantly more than what we could ever do in our own strength. Some of you that, that know us will know that we moved house late last year, um, which is quite an ordeal and quite a process. And so I just want to share a bit more about that from this perspective. Um, we felt that God had really put it on our hearts that it was time to move on from the place that we had built. We built it five years ago, and we initially moved in and said we'd like to stay here five years and then eventually you know, go on to something bigger that was a bit more spacious now that we've, we've had a family. We really felt an urgency. God put it on our hearts that we needed to get the house cleaned up, we needed to put it on the market, and we really needed to, to be ready to go when the time was right. So we put all this work in, met with the real estate agent, put it on the market, and after a bit of a journey and some different open homes and things we'd explored, we found this house. And from the minute we walked in, we really felt like it was the one for us. We felt like a real peace about it, and it had everything that we knew we wanted, and then more, things that we hadn't even thought of, considered. We thought, wow, that will be amazing. Um, we, we put in an offer, and we sat down, and we prayed, and we gave thanks to God, and we just believed that this was going to happen. Um, and they said, the owner will ring you back tomorrow, or the, the real estate agent, you know, we'll talk to the owner, and, and they'll tell you the outcome. Um, and we got this phone call, and we were all excited, and they said, unfortunately, someone else has outbid you. Um, and the owner has taken the, the other offer, which is not even significantly more than yours. It was by a very small amount. Um, they haven't given you the opportunity to increase. They've just straight out accepted it. Um, and we were, while we were devastated, um, we trusted God. And we thought, God, we know that you've brought us here to this place. And we really felt that this house was the one that was going to be for us. Um, and we tried to go to another open home, and we could barely walk in the door. We really felt like God had shut the door on, on anything else, and it was going to be that house. And so we sat down and said, if we can't have this house, then we're just going to wait, and we're going to wait for God. So we rung the real estate agent, and we said, we're taking a house off the market. She's like, you guys are crazy. She said, you've had so much interest. I've managed to get you a cash offer. The person's motivated, and like they, you could sign today. They'll be settled with you in about two weeks' time. You'd never get an offer this good again. It's, it's, it's way above the current market value. It's above what she had even thought that we would get. Um, and we said, no, we, we believe that we need to follow what is right and we don't feel like this is the right time for us. We're going to wait until we, we have a piece about it. So we sat down and we prayed and we just took everything off the market, took the signs, took the ads down and continued on, giving thanks to God. Um, and I remember one night, Alex had gone out, I think, to the gym, um, and I turned on YouTube, and there was this song by Maverick City that had just dropped. It was brand new. It came up on my YouTube on the home screen, and it's called God Problems. Um, and it talks about some things are God-sized issues, and there's nothing we could ever do in our power or our strength, but we give it to him, and in him we have the victory, not by power or by might, but by the spirit of the living God. And I listened to the song, 
probably for an hour and a half on repeat. Um, it's about 10 minutes long, and I, I just couldn't. I couldn't move on from it. And I just prayed, and I declared it over the house, over our life, over our marriage. I declared it over all of our situations. And I said, God, you know, I don't understand. We felt so strongly like it was time to move. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put it down, even though it feels uncomfortable. It feels weird staying in this place. We've had to pay thousands of dollars in lawyers' fees and real estate agent fees to not sell a house. We're now further away from a new house than we ever were before because of all this money. Um, and we just we just gave it to him. And I don't know if it was the next day or a couple of days later, but, but very soon after, Alex gets a phone call. And it was our real estate agent. And she said, oh, that person that wanted to buy your house, they've looked at so many other homes and they, they said there's no peace about it. They only felt like your house was the house for them. And they are willing to rent for as long as it takes, even if it's months and months and months, until you're ready to sell, if you're willing to have them waiting in the wings for this house. And the amount that they want to give you is more than what you're asking because they got, their, they got more for their house than they expected to and they want to pass it on to you guys. Um, and so that in itself was like, wow, like what do we do? We sat down and thought we're no longer on this urgent time frame and we're like, God, does it, is it really meant to happen? And I, I opened Trade Me on my phone and I've still got this other house watch listed that we'd bid on and the offer had fallen through. <laughs> and, yeah, and so we ran the agent. We said, we're going to come back and look at it one more time. We want to come back tomorrow. Um, we walked in the door and we just had this absolute peace about it and we're like, this, this house is ours. Um, and we actually put in a reduced offer from the first time, and they, yeah, yeah, and we said, we've got a cash buyer, we can settle in two days, um, I, I talked to the real estate agent, I found out the owners of that house had already built a house, they'd already moved out, they were currently carrying two mortgages, and I said, look, we will settle the minute we can, once everything, the lawyers have done their bits, like, we'll, we'll settle there and then, um, whatever we have to do, and they said, oh, why is your offer smaller than it was before, and we said, well, we have lawyers fees from the last time, and you guys declined it, so, you know, we'll, we'll come up a small amount, but not to where you want us to be, and they accepted it on the spot. Um, so, yeah, it was amazing, yeah. So God is good, but we could never have done that, right? In our own strength, we had to steadfastly continue in prayer. Even when I was sitting on the couch in our old house and I thought we'd lost this dream house that we would never see or have a chance to go to again, we still gave thanks, we still praised, and we believed that we needed to be steadfast in prayer. So I want to encourage you with that. If there's situations you're going through, whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's personal, we have the authority as sons and daughters of the king, right? God is with us. He's given this authority. Pete talked last week. When, when dad's not home, his boys still know the rules, right? You know, no running in the driveway, no, no taking the scooters out on the street. Jesus has given us the same authority. When we see things happening, we see things happening in our lives, we're to take authority and petition our father and say, this is not right, and come and fix this on, on our behalf as only you can. In Proverbs 3 verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And in James 5 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It might seem silly, but so often we can forget that we have this authority, right? It can be, if we can go, God, you know, what's going on? I can't see the situation, but he's going, I've given you the answer. Come to me, come to me in prayer, come to me with thanksgiving. There is a way, there is a way through. It might, might not be always the way that you expect or the way that you think. It might not happen the way that you imagined that it would, but he has a solution for us. 
He has plans to prosper us, and he will never let us down. Jesus will never fail you. The third thought is that to be aligned to Christ, we are called to speak life. In Colossians 4 verse 6, Paul writes, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Jesus knows all too well that the power of the spoken word is incredibly powerful, but also incredibly dangerous. Um, And Jesus himself cautioned the disciples in Matthew 12, saying, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak, and for by your words you will be justified, and by your words will be condemned. Right before this, he talks about what comes out of our mouths is the overflow of our hearts. So what we speak and what we hear others say often gives us some insight potentially to what's going on on the inside for them. Um, And it's so important that he uses this word here, careless, right? It's not things you say that are intentionally nasty or intentionally harmful. He talks about how dangerous it is that if you're not paying attention, something could slip out. You could say something without thinking the consequences or maybe not thinking about how it might be interpreted by the other person. Careless words, right? That's not You're not going out to do intentionally wrong. He's not saying you're wicked and you're evil. He's saying the tongue is the thing that you have to keep a close and careful eye on. Um, and I can tell you right now, like being married, there's plenty of times where you might accidentally respond in not quite the right way. It can get misunderstood and, and very quickly things can get blown out of proportion. And everyone else here that's married will, will know that as well, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, if you get asked, you know, how does this look on me, you know, you need to make sure that you think very carefully and not be distracted when you're answering um, and always answer positively and with encouragement. Um, so it's, it's so, so important. Um, and in Proverbs 18:21, it says that, you know, life and death are in the power of the tongue and those that love it eat its fruits. Um, so I thought it was really interesting the, the way that he worded this. Um, in Colossians, and he said, let your speech always be gracious. He doesn't say you have to always give hard truths. Um, He doesn't say you have to always be soft and gentle, but he talks about showing grace towards the people that you're speaking to. Um, And I heard an interesting story this week um, about Adam Sandler, of all people. Um, And when he was very young, he was going to like drama and art school um, and was, was struggling a little bit. And one of the professors said, look, come with me. I want to come and take you out for a beer. Um, Great, cool, professor's probably going to give me some tips. No. He sits him down, looks him frankly in the eye and says, you're not cut out for this. He goes, what do you you mean? Like this this, this course, this this particular module? No, no, you have no future in the entertainment industry. You simply do not have what it takes. Go and do something else. Anything else, don't do this. You, You, like, in polite words, you suck. Um, he's basically giving him the middle finger as someone who's supposed to be coaching and helping him overcome these challenges. Um, and I was just amazed to hear the, the fallout from this many years later where Adam Sandler was at a bar, just as the keys come, um, and he's talking to his friends and they're just having drinks, out, having a good time, um, and he sees this professor from across the bar and recognises him from all those years ago. And he says to his friends, come with me, come with me, I know this guy, we're going to go and talk to him. And I thought, okay, here we go. He's got a real, he can just lay into this guy right here and be like, I told you so, look at all the wealth, look at all the success, look at all these things that I have achieved that you never believed of me, you never thought I could do. You know, and he would be well within his right to do so, right? We often hear of those stories where, you know, the teacher told the kid they'd be a dropout and they go back to the teacher and say, look at me now, I'm, you know, successful. 
But you know what he did? He took his friends, he went over and he said, you know, this guy here, through all my years of uni, he was the only professor who ever took me out for a beer. Yeah. How gracious. How gracious is that? He completely lets this guy off the hook from a verbal lashing that he could definitely have been within his rights to do, to give him. And what grace he shows this man. Like, I was just amazed to hear that. And I have no idea the, the condition of, you know, Adam Sandler's faith, but it really showed me clearly that he understands this, that, you know, we should speak and deal gracefully with others, even if that means potentially being seen as, as weak um, or as soft. Um, but what a lesson in humility for, for the other person to receive and, and hear that. Um, I was just blown away, really. Um, and so, look, in, in closing, I really want to just encourage you today that, you know, with Jesus paying the price that he did and, and giving us salvation freely, there's nothing we could ever do to deserve it. We simply have to accept it. As we grow closer to him and as you push forward in prayer, as you read the word, as you listen to worship and you praise him, He'll begin to change things in your heart. And he'll begin to change things in your mind. And it's not like these deeds could ever get you more worthy or less worthy of getting in heaven. But how are we to live before we get there? How are we to walk as Christians in this church together to make sure we're all aligned, that we're all on the same page, that we're all working towards the same thing, that we're not stumbling over and, and tripping over each other and, and having you know, needless disagreements or arguments. And so Paul's giving these instructions here to say, this is how you guys are to live before you see Jesus, how you should conduct yourself. And then when other people will see you, they'll see how you act. They'll see out of the overflow of your heart what's, what's coming out of your mouth. Look, maybe you don't know Jesus, um, or perhaps you have in the past and you feel like maybe you've fallen away and you're out of alignment. Maybe you feel like you're not quite connected and maybe you've strayed or you feel like your heart, you're not hearing him like you used to. I just want to encourage you that he's as simple as a prayer away from, from coming home for the first time or, or coming back home. And we're going to take a few minutes as a church to all pray corporately together um, and just stand and agree and, and recommit and realign ourselves to God. Um, it's a chance here today to basically just take a step forward in faith and accept his perfect and flawless love and forgiveness. Um, so we're all just going to close our eyes and bow our heads nothing weird's going on. We're just going to focus on God and we're just going to pray. Uh, I'm going to pray and if everyone could repeat after me, that would be amazing. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Today, I accept your perfect love. Change my heart. Give me a new mindset. Let me walk aligned with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're just going to keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I just want to say to you in this moment, whether this was for the first time or if you knew you were apart from God, in a minute I'm just going to give you the opportunity just to slip your hand up and just signal to me today that you've, you've made this recommitment. No one else will be watching. No one's going to see you. It's not to embarrass you, but it's take a, a physical stand as that this is a turning point in your journey that you're going to walk aligned with Christ and that you want him to come in and, and change you from the inside out. Thank you for listening to this Elam Church Christchurch podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit www.elamchristchurch.org or connect at one of our services every Sunday at 10am.